November 11th, the 11th hour on the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918. The Great War ends. At 5 a.m. that morning, Germany, bereft of manpower and supplies and faced with imminent invasion, signed an armistice agreement with the Allies in a railroad car in France. The First World War left 9 million soldiers dead, 21 million wounded, with Germany, Russia, Austria, Hungary, France, and the Great Britain each losing nearly a million or more lives. In addition, at least 5 million civilians died from disease, starvation, or exposure. On the front lines that day, one Robert Casey of Battery C, 124th Field Artillery Regiment, 33rd Division, wrote this. And this is the end of it. In three hours, the war will be over. It seems incredible even as I write it. I suppose I ought to be thrilled and cheering. Instead, I am merely apathetic and incredulous. Dot, dot. There is some cheering across the river, occasional bursts of it as the news is carried to the advanced lines. For the most part, though, we are in silence. With all is a feeling that it can't be true. For months we have slept under the guns. We cannot comprehend the stillness. Peace. On September 21st, 2022, the United Nations declared the International Day of Peace, which is, is sort of an ongoing thing that, that um, devoted this day to strengthening the ideals of peace through observing 24 hours of nonviolence and ceasefire. September 21st, 2022. On September 21st, 2022, Russian missiles hit apartment buildings and a railway yard in Ukraine. Also that day, the president called up 300,000 reservists to prepare for active military duty. We try to bring peace in the world, but our best efforts are often wanting. It's interesting that as we get to the end of the book of Philippians, that the apostle Paul would bring up this theme of peace. Because the, the truth is they, they lived in a Roman colony. They had the peace of Rome, which protected and, and fortified that, that place of that city in which they lived. They, they, there was relative security there. But he says, I want to draw your attention to peace. It's, it's a standing that you can have with God that impacts and infiltrates into every part of your life. Peace. And I think like the soldiers of the great wars, and even of current conflicts. You may leave a military zone and come back home, but the, the peace that, that you see around you is not the peace you experience in your heart. As soldiers experience PTSD and other challenges, and, and, and many of you, you know, understand that and maybe know people that are, are dealing with that. And the Bible, I think, it represents peace as not the absence of conflicts in the world, but the, the internal changes of, of a heart that finds itself in a relationship with God. That was where peace begins. And then having made that right, you have the ability now to be peaceful with one another. I mean, sin enters the world, and the very next thing that's happening is Adam and Eve's children are killing each other. And that has gone on to this very but Jesus came and took upon himself death, penalty for sin, 
so that we could walk in peace. And the, the people and the men and women throughout the generations that have gone and shared the good news of Jesus Christ are bringing a message of peace. How beautiful are the, are the feet of those who, who bring good news, who bring the message of peace, you know? The, the, the spiritual armor is this, the shoes fitted with the gospel of peace, right? People that are moving forward, bringing this good message to people that are not living in peace. And so here in Philippians chapter 4, he will walk us through in practical fashion. Here is what peace could look like for you. In verse 1, he will talk about the peace in our position in the Lord and in his church. Positional peace, I would call it. So then, my dear brothers and sisters, dear friends whom I long to see, my joy and crown, stand in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. You look at that verse and you say, this guy obviously likes who he's writing to. He calls them dear friends, brothers and sisters. He, he refers to them in familial terms, in, in terms of deep friendship, deep affection. He calls them my joy. Now, you know what it's like. There are people in your life that when you see them, your whole body and spirit and face just lights up with joy, right? But then there's other people, and it doesn't produce that effect, right? You're, you see them, and you look the other way. You, you, you know, you, you run into the story, and you find another aisle to go down, right? That's not a person of joy, right? But here he's like, no, no, you, you, you bring joy to my life. You are my crown. Now, there were two words for crown. One was the royal crown, the diadem, but there was the other was the stephanos, the, the wreath that was placed upon the the, the winner of the athletic contest. Also, when they would have festive celebrations, they would sometimes, uh, you know, they would braid these wreaths together, and then they, it was a sign of celebration and, and festivity. You are my joy, and you are my crown. The things that have brought me joy and celebration in my life is seeing you discover Jesus. In 3 verse 1 to 8, he talked about the things before that used to, you know, fill his tank. I was all this, I was doing that, I was following this, I, was, I had all these advantages. It's like, now I've thrown them on the garbage dump that I might gain Christ. And, and in gaining Christ, I see other people gain Christ, and that brings me joy. And that, that's my festal crown of celebration. You are that. And he says, stand in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. You have a standing with Jesus that brings you peace because you know that you're accepted by him. You know that you're forgiven by him. You know you're a part of a family. And if you grew up in a good family, you'll, you'll know that there's times when you would just circle up with your family. You would sit down together and you would share a meal and you knew that there was just security in that place. Wherever else you were living and all the other challenges you faced out in the world, when you came home, there was something about just being there. I can remember that, sitting at the table. There's my dad sitting at the, at the table. I'm sitting right next to him, and I was like, this is a place of peace, security, well-being, protection, belonging. It's not like that new kid to the school that shows up in the cafeteria with his or her tray and, and looks at a sea of tables with no friendly faces and wonders, where am I going to sit? And the anxiety and the churns in your gut and your heart as you know, I'm, I'm not accepted, I'm not welcome, no one likes me. But he says, no, no, this is not your experience in the church. No, no. You're beloved. You belong. You value. You, you matter. 
And there is a peace that comes with that. To know that, that you, you, you have a value and a standing here, it's the, the positional peace. You matter, you belong. But then he goes in verse 2 and he talks about a different type of peace there. A common attitude of Christ that we share with other believers. He says, I appeal to Yodia, and I appeal to Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Now this is really odd. It's a very short verse. He brings up these two girls. Euodia, her name means prosperous journey. Someone who has arrived. Uh, she's gotten somewhere in life. And Sintichi is this, her, her name literally means pleasant acquaintance or, or happy chance, good luck. So here we are, prosperous journey, pleasant acquaintance, not getting along. <laughs> girls, get along. Somehow we've lost this ability as a church in our day and age. It's much easier just to jump ship than it is to actually learn to journey through with people. But there doesn't appear to have disrupted the church. It just seems to be the, the smoldering you know, fire in the room or the white elephant that's sitting right in the middle and everyone's like, what, what's that? What are you talking about? There's nothing there. They all know it's there. Yodia's sitting over there. Sintichi's sitting over there. Don't sit on Yodia's side unless you, you know, and just leave them alone. But we'll hopefully they'll figure it out, whatever. But he's like, look, girls, agree in the Lord. They're, he's reading this to the whole church. They're all standing there, and then all of a sudden it's like, ooh, this is embarrassing. Now what? And then he's going to call out other people in a minute. Just wait a second here. But he's like, girls, you need to have this peace of being part of a team together. Agree in the Lord. You need this people peace. Now, if you read the newsletter, I, I, I talked in the newsletter about the conflict resolution. Because churches tend to just be, and, and families, and businesses, as I talk to you out there in the work world, like, horrible at conflict resolution, right? Triangulation, you know, backdoor meetings, this and that, you know, factions, groups, you know, this group against that group, you know, and, 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 and the, the, what I just say is, what does Jesus say? He said, here's the process, and so we have this process. It's just built on Matthew 18, so, so you have a choice. You have an issue. Someone has offended you. Someone's really hurt you. What, what, what's your first option? Your first option is to just choose to forgive and when you do that, you let it go. And you never mention it again. That's a good option, many times. The other option is to take it to that person. Not to your coffee group and say, guess what happened with that person? Or, you know, to your life group or to even to your pastor. Don't, don't tell me unless you've already talked to that person. I, I don't really need to hear it. You need to go to that person and, and have that conversation. Or you need to say, you know what, I was offended, but I'm choosing to forgive. I'm choosing to forget. I will never bring it up again. But you can go to the person. Oftentimes you find out there was a total misunderstanding. And you restore that peace, kind of like Yodi and Sintichi needed to do. And you're good. Now, if that doesn't work, then you bring a friend along, and you have that conversation with, with, with some witnesses. And if that doesn't work, then you can bring it to me, and I'll say, okay, you've gone through the both processes in our conflict resolution process, so you document it, and then you bring it to me, and it's okay, you, you've legitimately tried. Okay, now I'm going to get involved as leaders in the church and try to resolve this. Rarely does it get to that point, though. Usually those things are resolved at their lower levels. But at any point in the process, you can decide, I choose to bear with the 
this person in love and forgive and forget. Agree in the Lord, girls. Because in verse 3, he describes it like, 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 you know, these are important women in the church. And in verse 3, he talks about the, the peacemaking mission, right? Peace is helping others live in peace and stay on mission. Verse 3, it says there, Philippians 4, verse 3, Yes, I say to you, true companion, help them. They have struggled together in the gospel ministry along with me and Clement and my other co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So there's Iodia, there's Sintichi, and in the middle is this guy, person. Uh, the older translations would say Sizagus. They took the Greek word literally. Oh, it's a, it's a proper name, but, but really the word means loyal companion or yoke fellow. It's an old term. It describes someone who pulls well in the double harness. He's a true team player. He's like, you team member, get involved and help these girls figure this out. I mean, they are women that served in the trenches. Can you imagine having two hardened war veterans coming into a town and not talking to each other? They, they were elbow to elbow in the trenches. They, they drug each other through mud, and then they get home, and they don't get along. Like, what do you mean? You guys just, like, you went through the worst of hell over there, and now, now you're living in the same, like, live at peace. And he's like, look, these girls served together with Clement and my other co-workers whose names are in the Book of Life. Like, so, so, so help them out. Peace does not come when we ignore the problem. It's not my problem. People that claim to be pacifists often take this pathway. I'm just not going to have any conflict. But that's not actually good peacemaking. Peacemaking is stepping into situations of conflict to help bring peace out of that situation. And it's a genuine expression of Christ's love within the church. If you actually care about people, you will step into ugly, messy situations to help bring peace. Look, besides, I guess, the elephant is sitting in the room. He's sitting on top of all of you. You guys have been just letting this thing smolder. Help them out. Now, I don't, if you're like me, I, I don't want to get involved. <laughs> Let's just let it work itself out. But sometimes you need to just get involved. Step in. And, and, and remind them. See, he's like, just re remind these women what it's all about. We, we are struggling together in the gospel ministry. Whatever the issue is, and he doesn't bring it up, but everyone in the room knows what it is. He's like, it's not worth sacrificing the gospel and all the great headway you made as you served together with me in that. You know, like, like you guys were right in there. And so, so just help them out. Help them out. Jesus would say in Matthew 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. The heart of the Father is to see his children getting In Romans 12, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. And then he's like, talks about, you know what? Everyone who's in the book of life, we're all on the peace mission together. In the ancient world, there was often this city register. Your name was on the city register. When you died, your name was blotted off the register. Boom. But the book of life, your name is never blotted out. When you believe in Jesus Christ for the promise of eternal life, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died for your sins, rose again. When you believe in that, your name is engraved in that book. Never, ever taken out. 
And those on the peace mission of Jesus Christ are trying to, we're trying to get as many names in that book as possible. Because God is a loving father who wants to fill his table with his children. His rebellious children. Children like me and you. Peace uh, uh, is this helping others live in peace and stay on mission. In verse 4 then, he kind of changes gears and he says, you know, peace is a settled heart that erupts in praise and rejoicing because of all the Lord has done. This is that little short verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Didn't hear it the first time? I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Uh, when should you rejoice? Always. Are you serious? When life dips and, and the clouds close in, I'm supposed to rejoice? Yeah. You're not supposed to rejoice in the clouds or in your cancer or in the, you know, the, the redness in your bank statement. You know, you're not supposed to rejoice in, you know, in, in the doctor's appointment and your, your health physical. You're supposed to rejoice in the Lord. That's where peace comes. This settled heart that erupts in praise. Why? Because I don't care if this body's falling apart. I don't care if I got no money left in the bank. I don't care what happens. What I have in Jesus is never, ever taken away from never threatened, never removed. Rejoice in the Lord always. And you know, the guy that's writing this, remember, the first time he visits Philippi, you know, he gets in trouble, gets beaten, thrashed, literally, thrown into prison, and in the midnight hour, as, as the, the, you know, the scabs are just starting to form on his body, what are him and Silas doing? They're singing hymns to God. Here's the guy that knew how to do it. And there is peace that comes when you discover this peace of praise. When you can just rejoice no matter what. Joy, Fee would say. Joy, unmitigated, un, untrampled joy is, or at least should be, the distinctive mark of the believer in Jesus Christ. Or the old commentator Matthew Henry said, joy in God is a duty of great consequence in the Christian life. And Christians need to be again and again called to it. If good men have not a continual feast, it is their own fault. <laughs> That's kind of ancient language. But if you're not lit, feasting on the Lord, it's, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. Rejoice in the Lord always. Say it again. Rejoice. And then he says in verse 5, this is the peace of, of poise. Let your gentleness, let everyone see your gentleness. The Lord is near. This is that calm assurance which exudes the gentle nature of Christ, right? When you rejoice in the Lord, suddenly you have this confidence of like, yeah, I belong to Jesus. And suddenly you don't need to control all the events around you. You work hard, you do what you can do, but you just realize life is moving on and, and when things go bad, I'm not going to just get angry or upset or, or demand my way. I, I, I can just sort of float through it. Why? Because I just know where I stand with Jesus. I know where this whole ship is going to end up and I can just trust in him in that moment, this gentleness. It's that person that doesn't have to enter the fight because they just, they don't need to. A calm assurance which exudes the gentle nature of Christ. Why? Because the Lord is near. 
Now, one a way of looking at it is, that, is, is the omnipresence of God. The fact that, that he's just kind of always standing by watching. You know, like, like we can never escape God's presence, it says in Psalm 139, right? Like, he's everywhere so that in one sense, yeah, the, God is everywhere. He's always watching. The other way of, of reading this is that the return of Jesus Christ is just over the horizon. He could come in any minute. And it's like Paul leaves it intentionally ambiguous. So you think about it in both ways, I think, in the sense of like, yes, God is always around, and, and that, that gives us peace. But also, we know Christ is returning, and everything that we see that's wrong in this world will be righted. The Lord is near, and that gives me a peace, a poise in my life, where I can move forward no matter what. And then he gets more personal. And he gets right into your gullet in verse 6 there where he says, Now, don't be anxious about anything. And literally, it's stop worrying. Stop freaking out. It's a command. Don't be doing this any longer. Don't be anxious about anything. I call this the peace pill. <laughs> It's a peace that stops the flow of worry and anxiety and chokes, that worry into the mind and chokes out the anxiety that threatens the heart. Because you and I live in a world which is, is always full of cares and concerns. Sometimes the danger of watching and absorbing too much media is that you're brought into the face-to-face -to -face reality with all the garbage out there. It's awesome to know what's going on in the world, but it's also awful because it's like, whew. The human condition and the way we manage the world is not helping us make things better. But that's been the way it's been for over 2,000 years since Christ. Don't be anxious about anything. According to Scotia Bank, uh, Canadians are spending at least 12 hours a week worrying about their money. Some of you worried about your money this week. I worried about my money. Some of you are worrying about the future. What's going to happen? What am I going to do? Uh, you're worried about your retirement. You're worried about relationships. Maybe you're a single adult and you're like, what am I going to do if I don't find something? You're worried about health. How am I going to stay healthy? And, and the truth is, you're not going to stay healthy forever. You're going to die someday. So I'm just letting you know, unless Christ returns, like there's no worth worrying about that because it's going to happen. You can't stop it. You worry about the environment. Right? Our, our media and our education system is teaching our children, yes, we are destroying the world. We're not destroying the world. God built the, the creation with this incredible elasticity and rebounding potential. Uh, no matter how hard we try, he determines when the world ends, not us. But in a humanistic and a godless perspective, we are responsible for the earth and for the climate. We're not responsible. Nor do we have any control over it. We are responsible stewards. We looked after creation. Why? Because it's his, not ours. But not because we, we hold the, the keys and we push the buttons and make everything happen. We don't do anything. He does it all. So why worry about it? You don't need to worry about it. Career, family, the list goes on and on and on. Stop worrying. But then look what he says in verse 7. What am I supposed to do then if, if I'm not worrying? He says in you know, we have this peaceful opportunity and ability to bring everything to God in prayer. You see that in verse 7? The peace of God, oh, sorry, verse 6. Instead, in every situation, through your prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your requests to God. 
prayer and peace. So what do I do with all this stuff? You bring it to God. Every situation. You have a resource. You have no excuse to hold on to your anxiety unless you just want to, and some people do. They love the dysfunction of anxiety and worry. I feel safe in, in worry and anxiety, and I, I just love to just stay there. It, it gives me some false sense of, you know, dysfunctional security, but he's like, you have an option. You have a Father in heaven that just wants you to dump it on him. Bring it to him. Notice with thanksgiving, in your dumping on God, don't forget all that he has done for you, is doing for you, will do for you. Keep a context in your mind, and that will help you to find the peace of God. You see verse 7 there? And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the personal security force of the Lord which surrounds our hearts and minds on account of our position in Christ and the practice of prayer. God sends his special agents into your life and they surround your head, they surround your heart, they, 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 they secure it. And yes, it's good. Yeah, God has taken that. Don't need to bring it back in here. It's gone. It ain't coming back here. You give it to the Father. He's looking after it now. Experience his peace. Don't kick God's sentinel out of the way when you've asked for his peace. When you've laid that burden down, don't go back up and, and dig up the corpse that's rotting and, and throw it back into your heart. He's, he's built the security force there to keep that thing out, so let it stay out. The security force. It does more than anything you can do to bring peace into your life. When you come to God, And then he talks in verse 8 about kind of reprogramming our mind, the peace that comes in our mind. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. He says you need to reprogram peace into your mind. It's a mindset that is shaped by Christ and the gospel. It's this peace perspective. I was doing some research. You know, you know that Canadian, in, in Queen's University did this research, and it found that we have about 6.5 thoughts per minute, or 6,000 thoughts per day. Now, the internet will say there's 60,000 thoughts per day. That is a total fabrication and a lie. There's nothing that validates that. Uh, you'll just go into a wormhole of websites that quote each other, but no one actually knows where that came from. It's 6,000, according to Canadian researchers, because we know how to do research in Canada, right? There you go, right? So... Um, Every nine seconds, you have a thought. And if you have not trained your mind to think in the right way, that thoughts, those thoughts will carry you wherever the world has taught you to think about. And he says, now you've come to Christ, you've come to know Jesus, you are, you've got the word of God, you need to reprogram your mind around these virtues. Briscoe has described it like this. You need to find those things that are real as opposed to what are phony. You need to think about what is serious as opposed to what is superficial. You need to think about the things that are right as opposed to the things that are convenient. You need to think of the things that are clean as opposed to the things that are dirty. And I think, I think there's some sexual reference in there. Like, yeah, let, let's have clean thoughts. You need to think about the things that are lovely as opposed to the things that are conflicting. 
You need to think about the things that are, are helpful as opposed to what is critical. Excellent as opposed to what is inferior. You need to think about what is positive as opposed to what is negative. Reprogram your mind. The neuroscientists have discovered that repetitive thoughts form neural pathways as neurons that fire together get wired together. Thus, the more a particular thought or belief is activated and reinforced, the stronger these neural pathways become, and the more automatically they become our go-to pattern of perceiving. Neuroscientists use the term neuroplasticity to refer to the fact that our brains have the ability to change our synaptic wiring, which is reflected in our point of view. Thus, we have the opportunity to intentionally change our thinking by forming new neural pathways that in turn will change our experiences. You wonder, why is it life not working out better for me? It's because you haven't reprogrammed this. It doesn't get to the hands and feet or to the tongue until it goes through the head and the heart. Think about these things. That word think is careful consideration. It's almost an accounting term to, you know, really logically, you know, figure it out and, and you know, and, and so you need to reprogram your mind as, as a believer in Jesus Christ, yeah. You have been taught things. You have patterns of thinking that, that come even from your life before Christ, maybe influenced from your parents that maybe didn't have Christian ways of thinking, even if they were, went to church. And, and part of growing in Christ is reprogramming this thing, thick skull of ours, into following those things that God wants us to focus on. And then he talks about the peace of practice, verse 9. What you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that awesome that he ends the passage with this promise? As you reprogram your mind and as you now put that into action, as you, as you practically in, in a real life, real time put this into action, you will experience God's peace. You don't do these things to get God's peace, but as you do these things, you experience this. It's with you. And what's he referring to here? He's talking about everything he's referred to in the book of Philippians, right? The peace of sharing the good news with others. The peace of God which comes in suffering and trials. The peace of serving together with others and, and in discipling others. The peace in knowing the truth of God's word and putting it into action. It's the peace of trusting God for all your needs. It's the peace which worships God no matter what your circumstances. It's the peace of unity within the family of God. Whatever you've seen, put it into practice. Okay, I've got two final slides. Let me just review. It's peace in our position in the Lord and His church. It's peace that's a common attitude of Christ as we share with other believers. It's the peace in helping others live in peace and stay on mission. It's the peace that's a settled heart that erupts in praise and rejoicing because of all that the Lord has done. It's peace, a calm assurance which endure, exudes the gentle nature of Christ. Next slide. It's the peace, an antidote to worry and anxiety. It's peace, the opportunity and the ability to bring everything to God in prayer and leave it in His hands. It's peace, the personal security force of the Lord which surrounds our hearts and minds on account of our position in Christ and the practice of prayer. It's peace, the reprogramming of my mind towards matters of eternal significance and those things which bring glory to God. It's peace that comes when I actively follow Christ and those who lead me to follow Christ. When I do this, I am promised God's peace. 
I mean, we're coming to Christmas, we're going to talk about peace, but Paul brings it up here, and it's so, what an awesome opportunity we have to just rise above our circumstances and experience something that only God can bring. We should have a level of peace here that no other place has. You might be part of a hockey team or some service club or some guild of some sort or whatever, some association. You may have some fraternity there or some sisterhood, some real closeness, but, but we have a bonding piece here that none of those groups can offer you if we tap into it. Will you join me on the peace mission? Will you be a peacekeeper? Will you walk in this peace today? Team, would you come up? We close this service and I'll lead us in a song here. Of course, the first peace that you have to discover is the peace with God. And Romans 5 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know any peace until you've come to know Jesus Christ. But then those that know Jesus Christ, he invites us to walk in that reality of peace, which we talked about today. So let's pray. Lord, would you help us? to know this peace today, to walk in this peace today, to share this peace today, to be peacekeepers with one another today. May this church be a place of peace because we are your church and we serve the Prince of Peace. May his name be glorified and honored here in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with the team as we close. I just want to remind you you got something in your heart today that's like just dogging you. The text says very clearly, bring it to the Lord. Lay it before Him. That is one practical way you can put this text into action. Those anxious things, those things you're worrying about, let Him look after it for you. From 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Set things right. Be encouraged. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Let's walk in his peace today. And everybody said, God bless you, everybody.